Hello and welcome to Delving into Draft. My name is Craig and I'm one of your hosts. Joining me this week is... Steve! This is episode four. Now, due to the fact that uh, the two of us are both kind of feeling under the weather and you may hear coughing, which I can't edit out, uh, we're going to try to keep this one short, but we're not quite sure if that's going to work or not. Anyways, um, as always, you can get in touch with us via... Well, at least four different methods. We are on Tumblr, delvingtodraft.tumblr.com, Facebook at facebook.com slash delvingtodraft. We're delvingintodraft at gmail.com in the emails, and I'm on Twitter as at R-A-V-A-K underscore. That's Ravak underscore. Right, let's just jump into the news. So, last weekend we had Grand Prix Chicago, which was a modern Grand Prix, and Jacob Wilson won that one, so congratulations to him. Woo! Um, Due to the Planeswalkers 2013, which is the computer game, uh, they've released a deck pack for that. So you can now buy uh, a Boros deck and a Simic deck. Both of them either cost 240 MSP if you're on Xbox 360, or they're £2 from Steam. I think it's also £2 on the iPad, and I couldn't work out what it was for the PlayStation Network. But if you look for them in the various shops, you'll obviously find the price. Um, the 2012 Holiday Gift Box should now be out. By the time you're listening to this, at least, it should be out on Friday, November the 16th. It's $20. Uh, inside, you'll have four Return to Ravnica boosters. There should also be 20 Return to Ravnica basic land. So you're not actually getting all 25 basic land, which are available, but oh well. Uh, there's six uh, plastic dividers, which you can then customize with a sticker sheet. So you're able to stick, for example, you know, creatures or rare or put mana symbols, whatever you want, so you can divide the box up. And also inside is an alternate art Dreg Mangler, which is the 3-3 with haste and... I think that's about all he does, isn't it? Yeah, is, is that is that good value? 20 bucks for four packs and some stuff? Well, what's the... I'm trying to think, because this is, this is American dollars, and obviously I work in British pounds, so 20 bucks, it's like four bucks per booster. Yeah. And then you get the Dreg... I mean, it's four pounds for the box, the stickers, the dividers, and the Dreg Mangler, and the basic land. That seems okay. I don't know. I mean, for over 20 bucks, I want, I want six boosters. But remember, the box yeah. holds over 2,000 cards, apparently. Yeah, 2,000 sounds like a lot, but they're cards, and they're very thin. You don't, know, I mean, uh, I don't know. I think I've asked for one as a present for Christmas, potentially, but I'm not entirely sure. It'd be nice to have another box at any rate would be good, and I like my promos. Um, yeah. Right, the next Grand Prix coming up this weekend coming is Grand Prix Bochum. That's not me got phlegm in my throat, I believe that is a correct pronunciation. So that's Bochum in Germany, and it's standard format. So, yeah, we'll, we'll see how that goes, I guess. Finally, the last piece of news, and potentially the best piece of news, is that the third set of the Return to Randica block, previously known as Sinker, has now been announced. Its official name is Dragon's Maze. Mm. What do you think of that? It sounds interesting. Uh- not the most exciting of uh, block titles, is it? Really? No, it's not really the most exciting. <laughs> I mean, obviously, the storyline behind Return to Ravica is that Niv-Mizzet is doing something. Mm. And uh, there is a reference to this card on Rogue's Passage. Um, if I can just find it in the book. So Rogue's Passage flavor text says, Rumors quickly spread among thieves about a labyrinth without walls and a prize beyond all measures of worth. Yeah, labyrinth's a better word, though, isn't it? Dragon's Labyrinth. True. Um, <laughs> one of the things which has been noted is that the, well, in the first Ravnica block, we had Ravnica, Guildpack, and Dissension, or <laughs> R, G, and D. And now we've got Return to Ravnica, Gatecrash, and Dragon's Base. So again, it's R, G, D. I see, I see, I see. Yeah. 
I don't know if that really informed the name or not, but you know, uh, yes. Yeah, so Dragon's Maze will be out on May the third, two thousand and thirteen. Uh, all we know of it is the promo picture, which is of Ral Zarek, who is an Izzet mage and is undoubtedly going to end up being a planeswalker in it. I will happily bet money on that now. Anyways, that's all the news. So uh, we're going to jump straight into our group topics. So this is part three of drafting the guilds. And uh, this week we're going to be tackling Azoria. So again, we're going to talk about the cards you need to make the deck work, uh, the cards you want, uh, how its mechanic works, and then how you deal with those other pesky guilds who are trying to get in the way of all your red tape. So, uh, Steve, do you want to bash on with us? Yeah, I think so. I mean, when I'm playing Azorius, what I'm usually trying to do well, it's usually one of two things. What is, is I'm either playing a really aggressive tempo-based plan with a lot of detain, or I'm playing a really sort of controlling plan with big blockers on the ground and flyers in the air. Really a kind of a classic uh, blue-white skies kind of deck. So what we'll talk about first is the, the sort of aggro tempo cards that you need. Really, it's sort of your typical kind of White weenie strategy almost. You're wanting small guys, but you want to take advantage of the detain mechanics. So your key dudes are like the Azorus Arresta, and you you work with your other two drops that you've got within the colours. So you're probably looking at like the uh, the two one mill guy. The what's he called, Craig? Uh, the Crossway Courier. Crossway Couriers and Keenan Apparition. And fencing ace, all your bears go up in value when you're playing a set of deck because you really want to like to have a lot of creatures in the two drops and the three drops. So your your basic win condition with the the tempo deck is to try and get the opponent on the back foot to start with, and then you finish them off using something like a knightly valor on one of your flyers. So you pump up the flyer and you get them through for the win. And feeling that your what you end up with is a board full of little guys and face with your opponent's board which is obviously going to be bigger you want to push through the damage and cards like Buster Squall and Teleportal come into their element and open up the field for you to attack through with your team of little guys the uh, the more controlling deck is like I say it's based on sort of blue white skies where you're trying to clog up the ground with your big chunky guys you've got they're not exactly defenders but you've got two fives and you've got well, there's two two fives. One of them's a four drop, the vigilant. Oh, armory guard. Armory guard, that's him. Yeah, and you've got uh, doorkeepers and void wielders, and uh, yeah, that's your main guys you want to be holding the ground with. I think Door- doorkeepers, void void wielders, and armory guard. I think your main guys. You've also got the bizarre crowbot, but he's he's a bit on the expensive side for getting down in time to save you from this uh, ground pound index. And then once you've established. So stability on the ground, you're attacking in the air, or you're maybe just attacking in the air to start with. But that's basically how that deck plays out. You're looking for basically your superiority, and you protect your board presence with counter spells, and you try and squeeze in some card draw as well if you can. Okay, um, that's a great outline of like the two different decks. Have you got any specific cards you think you need to make either deck work or both decks work? Like, is there any key Azorus card that you basically can't live without? Right, well, the, the, the tempo build, you're probably looking at Arresters and Bluster Squall and Nightly Valor. Really? To finish the game off, you need those? Like, because without it, you've just got a bunch of tutus. 
And with the more controlling deck, you need your flyers. And it's not just like any flyers, you need the flyers which are just a little bit more robust. So you're talking Sunspire Griffin, Tower Drake, the the Skymark Rock and the Lev Sky Knight are also really strong, but they're in there for a different reason, just because we've got the Detain on the Sky Knight, and the Rock has obviously a really powerful ability when you're facing against other guys. The Spear of Skywatch guy, the 3-3 Detain guy is also really good. But I mean, like the, the, the decks aren't really heavily dependent on getting specific cards. I'd say Buster Squall and the Nightly Valor are the most key ones. And it's just making sure you have the ability to attack in the air with a, with a the control deck or and defend on the ground, you know? Okay. Um, I mean, I was when I was looking at this, I was going more generally. I wasn't trying to think of the two different Azure race decks. I was just trying to think of how you sort of what cards you you ideally want uh, for playing this guild. And the four I picked up was Sunspire Griffin because it blocks practically every flyer. If we're not looking outside of um, common uncommon, it kills a moderate amount of them as well. Uh, the Spear of Skywatch, because it's an exceptionally strong flyer with a good tempo play with the Detain. Um, Dramatic Rescue, because you basically it can reuse guys, you can prevent them from getting killed. And then the Hussar Patrol just... Uh, Hussar Patrol just seems really good, but he's more just for blocking well on the ground while you do do stuff in the air, generally. Yeah. yeah. I mean, like, has, like Hussar Patrol is one of these ones that uh, gains value in the more controlling deck and isn't quite as good in the more aggressive deck. But you still have a place if you need a four drop. But, you know, because he attacks and blocks. But, uh, yeah, he's better in the controlling deck, obviously. Cool. So, if we move to cards you want, <laughs> I've written up a long list. I don't know if you just want me to go through it, because... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, to be honest, I did pick up quite a lot of white and uh, blue cards, as you may expect, but I, I almost took most of them. But I've got different reasons for taking all of them. So, like, Armory Guard just shores up your ground defences... Uh, you have a rest and avenging arrow as removal. I mean, avenging arrow is not really what you want, so you kind of have to take damage first. I mean, rest is sort of your premier removal here. Um, both your Zorius and Rester and Justicars are good for tempo because they detain things. Uh, you previously mentioned Nightly Valor. I think that's just something you sort of slap onto one of your flyers and you basically become like the king of the skies effectively. Plus you also get a 2-2 knight, which is nothing to sniff at. Um, the fairy imposter is good for reusing your detain guys, but if you don't have like the quantity of them, or your detain guys are something as expensive as a Spear of Skywatch, it probably becomes less useful. So yeah. fairy imposter is sort of one of these iffy ones on the side. Um, an action injunction and inspiration give you card draw, inspiration more card advantage. Um, the skyline predator is horrendously good because this is your this is your six drop three four which flashes, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that just blocks literally everything outside of, well, in, until you go into rare or mythic rare in the air, so. Um, what else do I think about? And then you got the multicolor cards, so you're talking about your charm, your guild mage, um, the three flyers, which are the Liev Sky Knight, the Skymark Rock, and the Vassal Soul. The Vassal Soul, I'm, I'm getting less keen on, but it's a decent enough flyer, and um, it's pretty easy to cast, because obviously it's in both of your colours, or either one of your colours. Um, the Sky Knight's very efficient and cheap, and then the Rock is just good for basically bouncing smaller things. So, um, 
and there's also a 3-3, which is kind of exactly where you want to be in the air, ideally, because that allows you to deal with most things. Yeah, I mean, like, a few things there, like the, the Fury Imposter, I really like that with Void Wielder, more than even the Detain guys, because it just feels like you get a lot more value out of bouncing their guy. Oh, I didn't even think of Void Wielder. Did I skip that one entirely? I think I did. Yeah, actually, that's a good point. That's, that's another place where Fairy Imposter becomes really useful. Yeah, and with, with, as I say, with the uh, Vassal Soul, there's, like you say, he is a bit weak, but there's one particular situation where I do like him over some of the other flyers, and that's what I was going to talk about, like, amongst the cards I quite like to pick up for the aggro deck, and one of them's the uh, Civic Saber. Oh. So, like, Civic Saber works really well with Lev Sky Knight, and the rock, what's his name? The Skymark Rock. Skymark Rock. It also sort of brings in the guy. You know, Judge's familiar. The one one for yeah. blue white. Yep. Normally not a very good card, but if you've managed to pick up a couple of Civic Sabers, he's actually a real threat as a three one turn two potentially. And the you know and then the the yeah. Yeah. In the best situation possible. Yeah, he basically comes as only have Sky Knight, doesn't he? Yeah. And uh, in a deck where you've managed to pick up a few Civic Sabres, Vassal Soul suddenly looks a lot better. He's now a 4-2 in the air, potentially. So, That's a lot scarier. Yeah, he is, yeah. So I, mean, I, I think Vassal Soul on the whole is a lot weaker than the other players, but there's times when he can be worthwhile keeping. The, the more controlled deck, you know, we were talking about Hussar Patrol earlier. Yeah. The, uh, the the downside with him is that, obviously, your opponent can see him a mile away. It's like, and I've got four mana, five cards at hand, and I pass a turn. <laughs> you know, you don't, you don't do anything. He's like, oh, well, I can see a Hussar Patrol coming. Yeah. So, like, when you're running those guys, I like to run uh, Inspirations and Cancels and other things to use your mana on just to keep your opponent on his toes, pretty much. So just, just so he doesn't automatically say, ah, Hussar Patrol, I'll just play at my guy and just not attack. And then, so sometimes you can go, ah, cancel that guy. Or if he doesn't attack and he expects you to place the Hussar Patrol at the end of your turn, you can draw two cards instead. And it just means he's got to guess what you've got, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, including like counters and things, it's uh, one of these things where I like to put stuff in. You know, like so, you know, you're holding up mana for a counter, and yeah. your opponent smells it. And he's like, "Well, I'm just not going to play anything." You want, you want to set your mana open? That's fine. You don't want to play anything. I won't play anything. The uh, the problem for him on that in that situation is if you've got some other way of using your mana, and the way I like to do that is with the doorkeepers. So you've got this, and it's not a brilliant alternative win condition because you don't have a ton of defenders in the colours you've got the zero six wall the flying wall uh, hover barrier hover barrier that's it yeah. you've got that thing uh, you're not going to have a ton of defenders you might have multiple doorkeepers I suppose but you get to do something with that mana at the end of the turn if you've not done anything else up to that point it's just like a way of just using your mana and not having completely wasted your turn and it's also kind of this extra wee win condition kind of, you know yeah definitely I mean, the, the Defender, Doorkeeper, Milieu, Psychic Spiral thing is a thing. Oh, and the, the Soul Sworn Spirit as well. I think he's probably good in both decks, but probably better in the 
the, the control deck, the unblockable detain guy, four mana, two one. Yeah. That guy, he's probably better in the control deck as well than the, the aggro deck. I mean, really, I think the aggro deck's kind of weenie. Kind of just lots of two drops and three drops and detain for the one. <laughs> oh, yeah, cool. Um, right, so talking about the detain mechanic, just to go over the rules very carefully. Detain reads, certain spells and abilities can detain a permanent. Until the next turn of the controller of that spell or ability, that permanent can't attack or block, and its activated abilities can't be activated. So if I play a guy and I detain one of your guys, your guy isn't acting on my turn. He isn't blocking on my turn. He isn't attacking on your turn. He's not using his activated abilities during either of these turns. Until it becomes my turn again, he's doing nothing. Yeah. But I was... So uh, last weekend we were at a PTQ and one of the one of the questions I was asked was, so I was watching a game and somebody had the new Prav Guild Mage. And I'm like, okay, it's like he was using his detain ability on his enemy's creatures. Okay, everything seems normal so far. He was using the ability on the enemy creatures at the end of his enemy's go. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it was like, does that work? And I'm like, what happens is he detains them on the end step. It then becomes the guy's upkeep, and the creature is no longer detained. So, yeah. yeah, it was just like, I'm not quite sure why you're detaining him at that stage. But okay, you can do that. Just notice it doesn't really work. If you're detaining on your opponent's turn, you do it early, not late, because otherwise it does nothing. You're going to be doing a pre-combat. So. Yeah, it really doesn't work. Because one of those cards I was looking at for when I was thinking about cards that you can use as a mana sink at the end of your turn, yeah. uh, I thought, oh. Guild Mage, and then I looked at it and I thought, no, <laughs> that one doesn't work as a, as a, as a mana sink at the end of your turn. No, I mean, it, it even said, the reminder text is, until your next turn. Those are the first four words. Yeah. So don't do it at the end of the enemy's turn when it's about to become your next turn. So yeah, just something to note about Detain. Um, and while Detain in the rules doesn't say anything about non-land, you will find every single Detain, I am pretty sure, says Detain target non-land permanent. So you can't Detain a land to stop them from getting uh, into mana. I think what the interesting divide is, the monocolored Detain cards say Detain target creature, and the multicolored cards say Detain target non-land permanent. Do they now? I yep. did not look into this. So maybe that's another important thing to note. Make sure you read your detain ability before you try detaining a non-creature. Yeah, you have I mean, to make sure you can target the non-creature. Yeah, or I mean, I'd, when we were first playing the set, I'd, some of that I didn't even realise that the multicoloured ones allowed you to target non-creatures. So artifacts become fair game, I suppose. That's the only thing outside of, you know, you don't get many enchantments for activated abilities. Is there is any, is there? Um... Uh, is Underworld Connections one? I think the land gets the ability. Or does the land get the ability? Enchanted yeah. land has, yeah. Um, not off the top of my head. Yeah. So, I mean, I suppose it allows you to target key runes is the main thing. Yeah, uh, Planeswalkers. Planeswalkers as well, yeah. Yeah, if you're unfortunate enough to be facing off against Rasker, Jace, then... Yep. Okay. Um, yeah, so that's how Detain works, just so you're aware. So, uh, moving on to dealing with others. Yeah, uh, first we'll start, uh, Selesnia? Yeah, just, yeah. Yeah, right, well, we talked about Selesnia before, and we know what he's got. He's got a lot of big 3-3 guys, 
who are considerably larger than your guys. Your guys are mostly two power with either really low toughness or really high toughness. So on the ground, it's not a fair fight, <laughs> to be fair. No. So the advantage you have over Selesnya is the Tain and Bounce. Things like Voidwalker and the Azorus Charm and Dramatic Rescue are going to be your best friends, really, because he's going to be making tokens and your bounce spells kill tokens. And of course, obviously, you do it at the, opt- the, the opportune moment. The, uh, you're, you're getting rid of uh, two, two, two cards for one, effectively, if you can bounce the token that he's populating onto. Yeah, just make sure you you do it before the spell resolves. Don't think he can like create a bird with eyes in the skies, then you bounce the bird, and then he gets a second populate or something like that. Mm. There's no there's no pause in between these cards. So get so as he puts it on the stack, bounce. Yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah, the bounce is also really good against his big expensive creatures that he's going to try and play later in the game. Is because he's, he's got. Some stuff available to him, which is just ridiculous, like the big spiders and... Uh, potentially the elk, whose name I forgot. Yeah. The X-Bane stag. Yeah. He's got some big guys that are worth bouncing as well because it costs so much to put them into play. But really, you're trying to just uh, carve them out, really. You bounce his guys and you attack him until he's dead. <laughs> and hope that's enough. Uh, the Your main sticking point with this guy is probably the Indrik. Yeah, the uh, yeah. two for a reach. Uh, I mean, it really eats all those low toughness flyers you've got. I mean, so, the only ways around it is what to arrest or avenging arrow or. Yeah, avenging arrow is decent because you might be able to find something big enough into it. Yeah, so your main sticking point is the Tower and Indrik, but you should hopefully be able to bounce them or kill them with an arrest. Yeah, so are we done with Slesnia? Yeah, I think we're done with Slesnia. The next guild, uh, is it, uh, I suppose your main lookout and is it, is like electricery. So it's one of the lookouts you've got to keep an eye out for because it can do blanket one point of damage to all your guys. There's a lot of your guys, especially if you're playing aggro build, which are just one in defense and can just blow you out sometimes. I don't know what the best defense against the electricery is other than just not over committing with one toughness guys. I think your best defense is a lot, very few people actually main board it. Yeah, so that's, that's potentially your best defense. But if they've got one, they may slap it in once they steal your one toughness, guys. Yeah, and like the desert charms, pretty good against your guys as well, because again, you're what like your low toughness flyers. So it's, it's all reasons not to run two toughness flyers. I think the exception is probably the sky knight because he's good enough as a free one. The a lot of the Isaac guys are quite uh, weak in attack as well, so they're going to have a job getting through your uh, ground defences if you're playing the sort of control variant. Like even the splatter thugs and things don't really touch a two five. No, you know what I mean. Uh, so if you're playing the flyers deck and you've got good toughness flyers, you should be sitting pretty good against this guy. He does have access to the the 3-3 three, three flyer and the 3-4 flash flyer. So they're worth keeping an eye out for. But, uh, oh, and gutter snipe could be a real issue for you. I don't, I was having a real think, like, how does Azores deal with gutter snipe? And I couldn't actually think of a good 
solution within the colour? I mean, can you think of anything off the top of your head? Uh, no, I was just... I didn't even think about getting a stipe. Because um, you can bounce them, sure, but... It doesn't really do much, yeah, and, a, and the rest doesn't do anything. No. Or detain. Um, yeah, gutter snipe could be a real drag. Yeah, I mean, I suppose a lot of people will be splashing for, like, with these, especially the control deck, you can afford to splash, but it's what you splash, because, like, if you're splashing for removal, the red removals, like, that you'd probably be getting would either be really expensive six mana job or a double red, which isn't a good splash. The uh, the next step would be black, but it's not really... You're not going to be picking up gates for that. You're just going to be splashing old school style, putting a couple of swamps in. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but at least then you get access to really decent removal, like Stab Wound or uh, the two mana kill a monocolored thing. Uh, is that ultimate price? Yeah, ultimate price, and sure, there's another one. Maybe I'm wrong. Uh, no, I'm thinking Augur Squee, but that's that's not going to work. No. Yeah. The um, so I mean, I think black is probably worth considering as a splash for your Azorus control, but with the downside of you can't pick up gates for it. You know. Yeah. But it's like just for cards like that, which have these sort of triggered abilities, they you. Don't have any way round. You know, like, I think Gutter Snipes one, and I'm trying to think of another. There's a trick, does any others have triggered abilities like that, Craig? Think- Not to the best of my knowledge. Uh, one thing you may need to be worried for again, due to the one toughness, is the is a static aster. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, but I don't think you're really playing Eyes in the Skies in this deck. Mm, no, but I mean, like, the, the guys that will really get hurt are your, um, your, your Sky Knights, who are a really high pick for you. Yeah. Uh, the 2 1 unblockable guy. Yeah, the Cross, okay. oh, the Crossway Courier and the Soul Sword and Spirit are both. Yeah. So, I mean, that's another good reason to be playing Nightly Valor. Just puts those guys who are your main attackers out of range of these things. Mm-hmm. Do you want to move on to Rakdos? Do you want to talk some more about it? No, I think that's, I think we're done with it. Yeah. Yeah. Rakdos. Uh, well, we talked about Rakdos last week. We know what it does. It's a really aggressive deck. Really strong guys late game. What they tend to do is have really fast start backed up by a bunch of enchantments or something on a guy. So this is where your bounce sort of shines again against, especially when people get a bit greedy and they'll go splatter thug, deviant glee, deviant glee, attack. Ho, ho, ho. You know. Yeah. And then you go bounce. And it makes you happy. And uh, I think that's one of the main points with them. The, a good card to bring in would be, uh, like if you're playing aggressively, would be like Swift Justice, is it called? The yeah. first strike lifelink. Because mm-hmm. it allows your guys to trade. So like it makes your arrestor trade up with a Splatterthug, for example. And then you get life gain off it as well. So in the sort of uh, games where you're likely to be racing, you're probably at a real disadvantage against Rakdos. So you've got to try and balance out as much as possible with like uh, things that give you a wee bit life gain. I'm not talking about playing just straight up gain seven lives, but 
things that have that kind of just the incidental life gain, they're just you get a wee bit extra. Yeah, it's like the you know, the bounce spell has it as well, gain a wee bit life, and uh, it helps. One thing I will say is that uh, two of the removal cards you may be running, Arrest and Paralyzing Grasp, are a bit worse against Rakdos, mainly because they've got access to Launch Party, and they're probably quite happy to sacrifice their creature, which isn't doing anything else. Yeah. To kill one of your guys. Yep. So just be aware, Arrest and, yeah, if you're running Paralyzing Grasp, they're both weaker against Rakdos. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. Your main advantage over Rakdos is probably your quantity of flyers. Like, the Rakdos deck has a 3-3 flyer for 6, and... The 1-1 lifelinker. 1-1 lifelinker, and the thing is, I don't know if the Rakdos deck is really running that guy very much. True. The, uh... And, like, who runs the 2-2 Revenant? Oh, the Dark Revenant. Yeah, 4-mana 2-2. Um... I mean, uh, I'm not sure. I always look at that as a liability. Did we talk about this last week? How I look at Dark Revenant as a liability, just because sometimes if it goes, but keeps going back on top of your library. Yeah, you're just not getting. You're just not getting out of the situation you're in. But so, yeah, I don't know. it's just not. It's just not that appealing a card, really. It's something that looks better than it is. I think. Yeah. <laughs> and so the basically point is, you, you have domination in this guy, so he's going to be looking to kill your flyers, and if he doesn't then you're probably going to win so long as you can stave them off on the ground. That's just a case of weathering that kind of early storm of um, guys, you know, and getting rid of the big fives. What would it be? A, a, they're basically a crawler, aren't they? The big unleashed six fours. Coming uh, is this a spawn of Rick's Maddie? Yeah, I mean, he's going to be a problem for you. You've got to do something about that. Yeah. Yeah, if you can survive that and attack in the air, you're probably happy. Yep. What, go Gary now? Or? Yeah, yeah, well... <laughs> really, but I'm really ratting through him tonight, Craig. Yeah, um, yeah well, that's, that's, that's okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, go Gary's, again, using green cards and black cards, obviously, but your main issue here is probably going to be the Reach guys again. You've got the Tower Indrick at his disposal and Trestle Troll. Oh, yeah. And, I mean, Trestle Troll's maybe not quite as good against Azorus as it is against other decks because the main problem is killing it. Well, as Azorus, you probably weren't trying to do that anyway. You're probably detaining it or arresting it or something. So, this regenerate isn't a factor. But, uh, your guys, uh, we're attacking in the air are still good. Is the Sluiceway Scorpion a bit of a concern merely because it has Death Touch, it's on the ground, it doesn't really care if you've got two fives blocking because it just removes them? Yeah, that's true. Sluiceway Scorpion is an issue. Like, the, the problem with all the Golgari guys is he gets a wee bit extra value, so he's quite happy to trade that for one of your better defenders, you know, and then that opens up the ground for him to um, scavenge onto another guy and attack through the gap that he's made. Yeah. The, although, the, you should be able to, should be able to aggro the Golgari deck, I think. Even though he's got his defenders and stuff. Your detain should be enough to, to stand in their way, you know. And just, well, get, remove them from your way and attack through, you know. I mean, against that guy, your, the, your unblockable guy is pretty good as well. Cause he's investing a lot in defenders, you know, the, 
Soulsworn spirit. Souls, Soulsworn. It sounds like he's got old shoes on. <laughs> Soulsworn. <laughs> yeah. Soulsworn spirit. Yeah, he's a. Uh, yeah, he's pretty good. One thing to watch when you're playing the sort of control deck against him, because you're running all these counters and things. What your opponent will try and do is play out his cards with scavenge, especially cards with cheap scavenge costs, like the the scorpion and the shambler sewer, swamp sewer sh- shambler shambler, yeah, swamp bot guy. Yeah, and he'll deliberately play these out, hoping that you're going to use a counter spell on them. Because he really doesn't mind if they go in the graveyard because he gets to reuse them to scavenge on. So if he knows you're rocking counter spells, he's going to be deliberately playing these into them to try and tease them out. It's just something to be aware of, you know. Uh, use your removal carefully. Like, probably wait until you see uh, counters on something before you arrest it or paralyze and grip it or something along those lines. Yeah. Because uh, one of those big guys starts bashing in and you don't have the detain to deal with it, then you possibly don't have the guys to deal with it either. Yeah, as we said, the arrests are a really good answer for, like, say he drops Terra Swarm, and you don't want that guy, like, because often what I'd try and do is, like, go Terra Swarm, trade with something, because he'll probably double block it, kill it, and then second main drop the Hexproof guy, the 3-4. Uh, the rampaging rhino no yeah so go hexproof guy and then next turn scavenge on the hexproof guy so if you can arrest the big scavenge guy the big terror swarm or something similar your arrests do a lot of work roll back rhino just yeah, to clarify yeah. Back, you know, yeah yeah that's why i like doing that get my counters on craig yeah yeah roll back rhino could be a real <laughs> issue I mean, we haven't spoken about Golgari yet, but I bet that's a pretty decent card in Golgari. Yeah. Good scavenge target. Yeah. I mean, we'll come to that next week, probably, or I mean, what we're we talking next week. Uh, I don't know. Do Golgari if you want. Uh, we'll see. <laughs> I think we'll see. Keep them guessing. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. I think we're then done with Azorius. I think so. I think so. I mean, I think Azorius is another quite straightforward deck. To build. It's not really overly complicated. You're either attacking in the air or you're attacking on the ground lots of little guys. And you're trying to win by making some of them bigger. Just don't try to do both because then you're not going to have anything to stem the tide when they come back at you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, then we'll move on to our first and only regular feature, saying we're trying to keep this relatively short. So, name that card. Oh no! Do you want to start, or shall I start? Uh, you can start, Craig. I had one looked out, but I totally changed the page. Yes, okay, so, um, well, I, I, I potentially think you may get this just with the flavour text, so I'm actually going to start there. Oh, okay, okay. Rakdos cultists are her best customers. They never flinch at pain and are seldom good at math. Hmm... Craig, you're teasing me. Should I give you something else? Hold on, hold on, hold on. Yeah, go on then. It's a black card. Yeah. Uh, And it's a two-drop. Two-drop black cards. Two-drop black cards. Two-drop black cards. Oh, it's got to be the Rix. Oh, no, that's... 
red and black. Uh, right, so you've got that, that, <laughs> you've got that. I hope, I hope you're not looking this up. Cause you oh, I know, I know, I know, I know. Flip a coin. Indeed. Yeah. What's the name of that card? Tavern Swindler, yeah. That's yes, the Tavern Swindler. I was trying to think of female black cards. <laughs> no, I can't look up. I've not got my book today, Craig. Oh, that's good. Wait, how are you going to get me a card? I, I have cards kicking about the room. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. What's, what's more of a shame is other weeks I actually had the, the book handy. <laughs> and it's just like, hmm. Could have done better if I looked in the book, maybe. <laughs> yeah, I thought that one was, that, that flavor text was pretty easy just because, you know, they never flinch or pain because it costs three life, her ability, and then they're seldom good at math because they, uh, well, I guess you can't, you, if you don't work out the odds, then you don't know how good Tavern Swindler is. Yeah, or how bad it is. Or how bad it is, <laughs> yes, because. Or how neither good or bad it is. Have we said this before? Tavern Swindler on average gains you zero life. Yeah. And loses you zero life, on average. I mean, yeah. the rule is, if you if you flip the coin once, you're either doing it to keep yourself alive, or you gain that three life and you stop. But yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, you got cards in front of you, so you want to... Yeah, I'm just going to... This is the first card to come to. So, I'm looking at it, and I'm going to start with the flavor text, because it seems like a reasonable thing to do. Okay. Okay. Bleak rumors reached Tristani's ears. She decreed that no one should travel alone. Or even no one should travel alone. Ah, <laughs> uh, okay. I feel this is a populate card. I think it's Eyes in the Skies. Oh, I think I should move on to the next detail. Oh, okay. <laughs> Didn't get it in one for a change. Oh, well. <sighs> okay. okay. So, hmm. The card you look at that is a sorcery. It's a sorcery. Okay. Oh, now, <laughs> the art is by Nils Ham. Nils Ham. Ah, that's a name I recognise. Um, <laughs> I'm right. Another detail is going to give it away, Craig. It's, uh, it's not the, no, it's a sorcery. Oh, I was thinking of the enchantment, which gives you populate at the end of turn. A sorcery in Slesnia wow my mind is drawing a blank it's not um Corsa's Accord it is Corsa's Accord oh okay <laughs> oh that was bad that was bad yeah why I was... did I not get that sooner <laughs> <laughs> I think you you think you won that one really way <laughs> that's your first point woohoo well it's 3-1 Three one for now. Yes, there, there, there's everything to play for. <laughs> what are we playing for, Craig? I've no idea. <laughs> Should there be a forfeit or something? Or I mean, what what is this best of? Because um, if, if this was best of five, I won last week. So nah, nah, it's probably like best four out of nine. <laughs> no, that doesn't work. Five best out of nine. Five out of nine. Yeah, best five out of nine. Okay, okay. <laughs> Fair enough. Right, should we move on to our personal topics? Yeah. Uh, really, I was just going to talk about the PTQ event uh, on the weekend there. Was at Dundee. Yeah. Basically, it was what I talked about. Well, the, it didn't go so well for me, to be fair, Craig. So I ended up going... No, hold on. I went 2-2 two, two in, a, in a draw. Right. Then I dropped. I yeah, I, I noticed you left earlier. Yeah. <laughs> the... Uh, 
I mean, I knew it was going to be like a like a pretty sort of hard day anyway. Like it was going to be a long day, and there wasn't going to be any easy matches. So I kind of went thinking that you know, I, I suppose the plan was to get to top eight, hopefully, and I'd be happy with that. I wasn't going with the expectation of uh, so I'm going to go with this PQ, I'm going to win, I'm going to get to pro two or whatever. The I, I think I was being quite realistic with my expectations. You know, I was sort of saying, well. I'm going to go and I'm going to try and get the top eight. And if I don't do that, then, you know, I'm not going to be too upset. You know, because if it's sealed, it's a little bit hit and miss. There's a, there's quite a lot of luck involved in sealed. But these things, because, you know, you've got to open a decent pool and you've got to draw the cards you put in your deck. So you put good cards in your deck, you've still got to draw them and not sort of be manuscript. But I suppose that's true at any event. But, there's just more luck involved in a sealed event than there is in any other one, I think. And uh, But then, on top of that, you've got good players and really good players. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> true. And uh, so, you've kind of, <laughs> you've, you've got this kind of luck thing, so the, the top eight is going to be made up of the really good players who also got lucky. If that makes sense. Definitely. The, rather than like, yeah, I mean, you, you have to get a bit lucky, don't you, to get the top. I mean, there's a hundred people there, so it's less than 10% are going to make it to the top eight. And, you know, exactly 1% that win. <laughs> Indeed. So if you're, if you're odd start there, it's, that's what it is, you know. So, you know what, to, to prepare, I kind of played a lot of games online and, uh, I mean, I tried to play a bit of sort of normal magic. But really, there's not that much time in the week, is there? So like, we play Paper Magic on Thursday nights and Friday nights, mostly. Mm-hmm. But I didn't go to Friday night magic because I thought I'd be clever and just take the night off before going on the Saturday. So I wasn't going to be overly tired or, I don't know, like overly... Because I, mean, I have a tendency to like get a bit hyper. And then I wouldn't sleep if I sat and played cards all night and then tried to sleep and then go and play cards the next day. But it didn't work out anyway because I ended up coughing and spluttering all night with the cold. So when I got there, I, I thought, right, okay, this is fine. I'll be well prepared. I'll take a bunch of water with me. I'll take paracetamol with me to stave off my cold symptoms. Uh, I tried to stay off the coffee to stay within... Uh, <laughs> within Not hyper. Yeah, to try, <laughs> try and stay at a sort of normal level of excitedness mm-hmm. and yeah, I thought I prepared, that, that was that, that was my preparations at the time I thought they were quite good looking back now it's maybe I maybe could have done more but uh, opened up my sealed pool and I was quite happy with my sealed pool I got uh, I got some decent rares I got uh, Asperia who's pretty bomby I got a Lolith Troll which is also pretty bomby I think there was a Rakdos return in there there was I think there were some less exciting rares, probably like Precinct Captain, Havoc Festival, and Crackborn Horror, I think I had. And, but like looking at my actual pool of cards, the commons and uncommons I had, the cards that were jumping out were the Azorus cards. I had three Void Wielders, I had the left Sky Knight, I think. I had like double Selesnia Sentry, which wasn't great, but it was kind of a Three power guy on the ground, and I wasn't too unhappy playing it. So like the 
you're kind of under t- time pressure sort of making your deck. So I kind of found what I ended up doing was I saw this, the Selesnia deck, thought, not Selesnia, sorry, uh, Azorius deck. I thought, that's the deck I'm going to play, put it together, and I was kind of feeling under time pressure to register the deck and kind of note it down. And I'm, I was really aware of when I was marking down the numbers on the bit of paper, saying, this is what I've got, this is what I've got, because I spent quite a long time checking my pool as well, because yeah. I didn't want to come a cropper with just the pool being misregistered. I think I probably rushed the deck construction bit a bit. Because, like, I noticed when I was noting down my numbers, everybody else at the table nearly was still arranging their cards into different piles and then making decks and then rearranging them into different piles. Like, the more experienced players, I suppose, were doing this. And I was thinking, well, no, I'd rather just get my deck registered and worry about this after. (laughs) Probably a mistake. But my deck, I thought, was all right. It wasn't terrible. The main downside with it was uh real lack of removal. I mean, the pool, my pool had a real lack of removal as well, though. I mean, I had a Tristani's Judgment, uh Selesnia Charm, and an Alliant, Annihilating Fire, and that was my choices for removal from a deck. So I went with the Tristani's Judgment and Splash for the Selesnia uh, Charm. Yeah. Because uh, let me play my... Well, I played a key rune as well, which let me regenerate the V2s, which came up more often than I was expecting, regenerating those guys. So I won the first two rounds that I played, which was fine. I was actually a bit taken aback with the, the, uh, my first match, because it was a guy who had played before, and I knew he was a really good player. And I don't know if you ever get that, Craig, where you, where you know you're playing somebody who is definitely better than you. You ever played a match like that? Well, how how much better are we talking? I mean, well, this guy, he writes for a magic website. Okay, uh, right. Um, in which case, no, I don't think I've actually been in a position where being against that sort of class of player. Yeah, I mean, yeah, because I'm pretty sure he's been on Pro Tours and things before. So, right. playing against this guy, and I was just like, because like, uh, my friend Callum turns around to me and says, <laughs> Oh, you happy enough, Steve? And I said, I was like, yeah, I was until I sat down. And then it just kind of went my way in the first, first game. Like, I uh, managed to curve out into Asperia the first time round, I think. And then the second game, he played a Trestle Troll, I think, for the entire game. And I kind of think I went detain Trestle Troll with Sky Knight. And then something else happened. And then I bounced it with Void Wielder. He played it again. Bounced it with Void Wheeler again, and then Asperia again. You know, and it was like, I felt a bit bad because it wasn't really a game of skill. It was just my deck played itself almost. So I felt a bit bad for him. And then the next, but not too bad. And then the next round, uh, I'm playing a, a younger guy who I think is still, I think it was maybe his first PTQ, but he was definitely a decent player. And that was a really close game. And then my last, well, I say my last game, but third round, uh, played against the Rakdos deck, which absolutely tanked me. And I was like, oh well. And I think everything went downhill after that because I sort of slipped in, back into casual mode. I was yeah. kind of just, you know, I was kind of like, well, that's it. That's the seal broken. I can just relax. And I was just playing in a far more friendly, Friday Night Magic style. If that makes sense. Because hmm. I was just trying to enjoy the day after that point. 
but what it led to was me making loads of mistakes and getting killed a lot. Ah, that's unfortunate. Yeah. Uh, but that was my day. You know, it went sort of two, two, one drop. <laughs> the, uh, so I came away for it, like, I mean, it wasn't probably until the, the Monday, probably like, so, Sunday I was still not bothered, but Monday I was kind of kicking myself and thinking, you know, that was really stupid. Why didn't I, like, have a better go at that? Cause like, I spent enough time thinking about it, but I didn't actually do a lot of preparation, so I kind of, I was trying to think of things that I could do better for next time. Okay. That makes sense. So, I think, you know, I started off with probably the wrong mindset to start with. So, my aim when I went in was really just to have a fun day playing magic, and if I made the top eight, I'd be happy. That was kind of the, the mission I gave myself almost, you know, I'd make it top eight, I can justify the, the time and effort I'm putting into pre- preparing for it. Yeah. But really, I should have been going into it thinking, I want to go in the Pro Tour. Really, otherwise, is, is there any other point in going to PTQ? I mean, unless you want to win tons of boosters by coming second, but... Yeah, I don't know, because, like, it's a long-ass day. So coming second, what, we came in at, was it 10 o'clock in the morning? So like that? Uh, I think it started at 11. I was 11. there at half nine, but we'll get into yeah. that in a moment. But we're, we were there from like, well, I'm, I'm going to say we're there from 11 to, and if you make the top eight, you're probably playing till about midnight. If you're wrong, what, what time did the midnight, the top eight finish, Craig? Uh, I think it was just before midnight. It was really quick compared to the year before, because the year before went, it was 60 players and it went to 1am and we had 100 players on the news and it went to midnight pretty much so yeah it happened pretty quickly the uh the last few rounds in the draft yeah i mean so basically you're looking at a 12 hour shift or more mm-hmm. right to get what is essentially what's 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 a lot of boosters is it a booster box do you reckon uh i'm not entirely sure what the one uh i think it was potentially a booster box the last two I think it was slightly, I think it may have been half a booster box for people in the yeah. top eight, but. But no, I mean, the point I'm, t- I'm making is, if you want to put in a 12 hour shift, you can just buy a booster box if you just do work. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so. Okay. You, you know, so, uh, I don't think the, cause I mean, like, even like entry fee, you're paying 35 quid entry fee, and you're, I mean, you're getting a bunch of boosters for it, but I don't think the, the, the prizes that trickle down are really a good enough reason to say, I'm going to PTQ, I'm going to win a bunch of boosters. You know, like, in retrospect, anyway. I mean, I was quite happy to go in with that attitude, I think. But thinking about it now, it probably didn't serve me the best. Yeah. And the preparation side of things, anyway. Because, like, even though I played a lot of Magic Online before going in, I didn't really... Like, another thing I was thinking is I didn't make the most of the Magic Online I was playing. Like, I was just, I would play a draft, and, and like, I was playing like Swiss drafts, for one. So you're not playing against, like every single, when you're playing a lot of games, playing Swiss, which is kind of what I wanted to do, but you're not playing against the toughest opponents. Yeah, because they're probably in 8-4s. I mean, that's maybe not entirely true. There's definitely 8-4 caliber players who play within Swiss, but there's, the opposite end as well. So you get a few easier games in Swiss. Uh-huh. But I mean, the the point I'm making is I could have been playing 8-4s 
and also I could have been analysing my actual games more, rather than just play game. Oh, well, that was interesting, and maybe have a wee think about, oh, that guy worked well, or that guy didn't. But, I mean, I think for, like, another event, we were going to London in February. Yeah, Grand Prix the, London, hi. The Grand Prix, I think, in preparation for that, I'm actually going to be recording my games and re-looking at them after I've played them. Well, we're not we're not going to get the opportunity to play Magic Online before London, because this is the first... Uh, it's the first gate crash, and it's going to be before it's on Magic Online, I do believe. Yeah, but I mean, like one of, one of the yeah one of the, one of the things thing I thought I was I'm not very good on was I'm fine at making picks, I'm fine at drafting, but my actual playing Paper Magic could be a lot tighter. Just the technical game. Yeah. So I mean, like just re-reviewing my games like that, I think is something that will help me. Just the way I stopped concentrating after my first two matches. In fact, I was kind of like patting myself on the back a bit after the first two matches. I was like, well, that was fine. Won those two. And uh, I knew, like, the the guy I got beat in the third round by is another name that I recognised as being one of the better players. I mean, because I've definitely seen his name in the top ten in Scotland. I know that's not really, uh, <laughs> like a, you know what I mean, it's not really a, a big pool, but it's... Uh, Definitely, I definitely recognise his name, and I think I kind of said to myself, "That's ah, okay if you lose to this guy. There's no shame if you lose to this guy." And that's probably not the right attitude. I mean, to be honest, <laughs> that's that's not knock Scotland. Sure, we're not the biggest country, but our Magic team did hit, the, did make the quarterfinals of the World Magic Cup. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I, you know, to the south of us, there's England. It didn't make it in. I mean, there's other big countries near us, like France and Germany. They didn't make it in. So, yeah. I mean, Oh, yeah. oh, I'm saying it's not the, it's not like a, it's not like a big pool. Like saying you're a top player in Scotland isn't the same as saying a top player in Britain or a top player in North America. Yeah. Uh, you know. Sure. Yeah. Anyway, but all I'm saying is that I recognise the guy's name. I kind of was saying, well, you've done all right so far. And this guy's a good player. You're probably going to get beat by him. You don't need to feel bad. Like making excuses for myself before I even sat down and played him. Yeah. And it's like, no, that was wrong. You know, like, in retrospect, I was kind of just actually angry at myself. <laughs> like, not even, like, straight after, but it was, like, on the Monday when I was kind of thinking about it, like, that's, why are you thinking like that, Steve, you know? Mm-hmm. And that was it, really. That's So I think the uh, my aim over the next few weeks building up to London is to try and improve my game. And if I find anything that works for me, I'm going to try and share it with... The podcast. Okay. Yeah, get you, Craig. Share it with our listeners. Cool. Might be of use to you. Might not. <laughs> you know. So that's it. Basically, just go try and improve. You know. Good and an applicable for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So uh, moving on to my topic, I was also at the PTQ in Dundee where I went X and O. So of course I've got my invite to uh, Montreal, and no, that didn't happen because I was judging. So uh, of course I didn't lose any games. Also didn't win any games, but um. Yeah, I, I was think. I mean, I was definitely considering playing at the PTQ, but I figured I wasn't doing anywhere. Well, I wasn't doing any preparation. I hadn't. I'm not really a big Magic Online player. I'm really bad at playing uh, Magic Online. I'm much better at my paper Magic. So I kind of thought, well, you know, this is potentially the best option I'm going to get in the neck in like the nearby future to do any judging 
like seriously because you know when we do Friday Night Magic, there's not a terrible amount of people in our shop. Like if we get ten people, that's a really good night. Uh, some people would laugh at that because you know that's barely enough for an eight man draft. But um, you know I figured this was the best opportunity to get some experience. Um, so I uh, emailed the guy who was running it and said, you know, like I'm a rules advisor. You know, I'd, uh, I don't, I haven't done any real judging before, but you know, like to get into it, like would there be any like possibility I could judge? Like, you know, is is that possible? And he was just like, yeah, sure, that's not a problem. So uh, I ended up being one of the four judges there. So there was two level twos, a level one, and me. Uh, which I don't know if I call myself a level zero or just a rules advisor or just a judge without saying certified. But, um, yeah, so uh, I turned up at like half nine, um, sort of saw how it was being brought together. So we had taken over the upstairs of um, the local university union with all the uh, tables and chairs and the numbers set up and stuff like that. And thankfully, uh, the guy who was running it um, had pre-registered all of the pools. So that was one thing the players didn't have to worry about. It wasn't one thing we had to worry about. They had all, all like, hundreds of these uh, 90-card pools already being pre-packaged. So once everybody got settled down um, and, like, we had our announcement, um, which was useful because the announcement, you know, obviously the head judge introduced all the other judges. And, of course, they're all certified judges. They've all got their DCI judge or magic judge shirt. And all I'm doing is wearing a black t- like black shirt. And it's just like, yeah, you you know I'm a judge. So that had to be pointed out. So it was Andy that that happened. Because <laughs> a couple of times during the day I was asked, are you actually a judge? It's like, yes. Um, <laughs> were, you, were you briefed up beforehand to wear a black shirt, Craig? Uh, no, like I, I started, I was reading up on like what, uh, you're meant to, well, your tire is meant to be, like, it's meant to be the, um, what, if, if you're, if you're a normal judge and you just wear the black judge shirt, smart trousers, smart shoes. And I saw that, but I was just like, well, I don't, I, like, I don't know, having me brief, so I, I got myself, actually, this, this was something I totally forgot about, so, I woke up about eight in the morning, uh, is that right? No, <laughs> I don't know, Craig, I wasn't. No, I'm trying to, let's see, uh, what time did I get there? I got there half, I think I got up at seven and I spent th- about an hour of my hour and a half I had before I had to leave running around looking for a shop to buy cufflinks. Cause I had a black shirt, which was fine, but I need cufflinks. And I don't own any cufflinks. I'm not entirely sure how I've got a shirt which needs cufflinks and don't own any cufflinks. All those two went together. So I spent an hour instead of reading the rules or getting ready or anything like that running around looking for cufflinks. So yeah, that was, <laughs> that was how I prepared for the PTQ. Um, <laughs> Anyway, no, no, I, like, I wasn't brief, so I had my black shirt, uh, my black combats, because I don't have any smart charges either, yay for being a student, and, uh, just my trainers, but, yeah. Um, so yeah, once we had everybody sat down, we handed out all the seal pools, and then we sort of had the meeting, so it was sort of explained to me that, you know, how, how to give, uh, a warning, because obviously this is that professional realm, which is, um, where you really need to know how to play magic, and mistakes, aren't just tolerated, they aren't just something players sort of fix, you know, like when you accidentally flip over a few cards on the front of your deck or you draw an extra card, like you can't just sort of like take it back or anything like that, you know. <laughs> there's a, there's something called the IPG, the Infraction uh, Policy Guidelines. Oh crap, I just forgot what the uh, what that stands for. But um, yeah, you know, there's there are ways you deal with it, so you know, I got told, told how to give a warning. There's other things beyond warnings. Like a warning is basically something which is marked down saying, this player did this. And then obviously if you see a lot of warnings for the same thing, then you kind of go, and that player is clearly trying to deliberately, you know, um, yeah. 
jimmy the system effectively. So uh, anything beyond that, like a match loss or a game loss or disqualification, I was told you had to talk to the head judge. Like no, none of the judges there except for the head judge could actually do that. Um, mm. So uh, yeah, we you, so obviously all the players to their registration. And one of the things we had, to, one of the things that you know, which was I was told to check because as round one was going on, we all had to sit down and make sure that everybody had done their decks correctly. So we had to make sure that everybody had registered at least 40 cars. But one of the things we were told to check when they were handing in, make sure they've got the name on it, because otherwise it's going to be bloody hard to identify who's gone wrong here, and make sure they've got basic lands, because a lot of people apparently just forget about basic lands. They go, yep, those are my 23 cards, obviously basic lands, don't actually put in what their basic lands are, and then try to play with a 23-card deck. Yeah. I mean, obviously they're physically not playing with it, but as far as the document we got in front of us... uh it's not high enough. So that was the thing we did during round one. At the beginning of round two, we had to deal with a few people who had registered pools, which are far too small. So like, uh, the guy, like there was four people. So there's four judges. Each of us took one. And the guy I was talking to had come up at the end of round one and went, Oh, I realized I only submitted a 39 card deck. Like, I think I forgot to put this, like he was showing, um, Centaur's Herald. He was like, I think I forgot to put this in. And I was just like, it's okay. We'll, we'll get to you at the beginning of round two. So I sat down with him. He was just like, yeah, it's this card. And I looked and it was just like, nope, Center Herald's registered here. And I handed him the sheet and went, you just count to make sure you've got, like, you see it's also 39 cards. So as he was counting, I was counting his deck and it was like, no, you haven't, you haven't missed out any cards. You've registered all the cards you're playing. You are playing a 39 card deck. So. Obviously, some people haven't been to um, something that's uh, professional rel or competitive rel. So, do you know what happens if you ha- if you've accidentally registered too small a deck? I would say that's a game loss. That is a game loss. Yeah. So you start. So basically, the guy started round two down a game. Um, although that does mean you get to you get to choose if you go first or second because it's just like you've lost a game. So. You, you get to choose if you go first or second. But do you know what else has to happen? Because obviously you just can't keep playing the day with a 39 card deck. Um, well, I suppose he's got to re-register a deck, doesn't he? No. You have to add in a card. Yeah. But it's not from your pool. You've got to add in a basic land. Oh. Um, which is kind of punishing. And there's also there's another situation where you need to add in a basic land. Say one of your cards somehow gets damaged or lost or something like that, then you potentially have to play just an, an extra basic land in your deck. Yeah, I mean um, went to a PTQ in Glasgow it was modern and a guy went away like obviously dropped from the tournament but he went away where his opponent spread and sees can enchant land makes an island. Yeah. He went, with like, went away with like three of them or something, just scooped and went away and the guy didn't realise, and then it was kind of like, does anybody have spare spreading seas? Because there was no way he could get them back. Yeah. So he just had to play with basic lands instead of spreading seas. Like, you, the the head judge is allowed to make proxy cards, mm. but generally they don't want to, is, is what I believe is sort of inferred by the rules. Yeah. Um. So yeah, that's 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 one of the unfortunate things about playing at this level. Like, you need to be very careful with your cards. Um, but otherwise, most of what I was doing during the day was deck checking, which again is something which I, I like. This is the first PTQ I've been to, and I I was never aware of this sort of thing happening. So at the beginning of each round, generally the judges will hover around an area, you know, because obviously we need to hover around in general just to make sure that everybody's playing fine and we don't see anything dodgy and make sure that we're just physically present. So 
I did notice a few times when I just entered, like the room was sort of split into two. Uh, there was, you know, there was about 20 tables on either side. And there was this corridor. And, you know, as you sort of leave the corridor into one side of the room, you notice a few people kind of pay, go, oh, there's a judge there. And then they'll raise their hand and shout judge. So, you know, <laughs> that's, that's why we had to stroll around. But at the beginning of the rounds, we'd sort of be present in one area. And the deck check is basically, we just grab, basically just grab both players' decks in a game to make sure that they've got all the cards they say they should have and, you know, they haven't somehow added in other cards or running the wrong cards. I'm de-cyborged. But you're not really supposed to be obvious, like, who you're going to deck check, and you need to wait until they present their deck. Because if you're presenting your deck, you're officially saying, my deck has been randomly shuffled enough, my deck has, you know, got the cards it's meant to have in it, it's 40 cards or more, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So I sort of stand, like, in the middle of the room, and then... I'd sort of have paying attention on the corner of my eye, like the table I was going to deck check, and then just as they pass it over, I'd sort of just leap across the room <laughs> and just like go, stop, stop, wait, I need to check your decks. So just grab, give me your decks, give me your sideboard, and I'll be back. And uh, it's, a, it's a little bit of surprise getting pounced on like that. Yeah, I mean, this was the advice I was given. It's like hover around the table to make it look like you're going to check that table, but pay attention on the corner of your eyes about the guys you're actually checking. So uh yeah, this is what I. uh did basically at the beginning of the rounds um, and also in the middle of the round you can also do the same thing like you know they're they're about to enter game 2 or game 3 and you know they've shuffled in they've sideboard they present their deck you basically do the same thing the only thing is obviously you don't check against the deck they register because they may have sideboarded so yeah. you just need to make sure everything's in their pool but that's that was a lot of what my day was I mean that's that's the sort of thing I reckon was best for someone like me who was new to it like because I meant uh, there was less chance of me having to be out, having to deal with other issues, and then potentially have to give out warnings. Because you can't just you can't basically see something going wrong and just say, "Yeah, that's a bit dodgy." I'm giving you a warning. You need to know exactly what the warning's for and exactly how to resolve it. Yeah. And even level ones don't necessarily know how to do that. So, um, yeah, it was a pretty good learning experience. And I'm trying to think of anything terribly interesting happened. I did make a couple of mistakes. There was one uh, game which was going to time, uh, and it was in two turns, and some guy went... Uh, actually, I'll give you the situation of it, if I didn't say it on the day. So, I control a Palisade Giant, yep. so I've got some other creatures, and you got a Thrill Kill Assassin. Yep. And you attack, yep. and I block with one of my guys, not the Palisade Giant. What happens? Palisade Giant dies to death touch. Correct. Guess what I said? Ooh. <laughs> the opposite? Well, sort of. I, for some, so I, like, I feel a bit of pressure because there's, there's the two players, a couple of people, like, literally left and right of me, like, breathing over my shoulder, and the head judge was behind me. And I quick, I looked at Palisade Giant, briefly. Yeah. Kind of, so I, I, I kind of glanced it to make sure it was Palisade Giant rather than reading Palisade Giant. Yeah. And I was just like, okay, I know what that does. And I was thinking about it, and I was just like, yeah, it's fine, because, you know, Palisade Giant, give or take, says, you know, any damage that would be dealt is prevented, but the damage is dealt to Palisade Giant instead. Yeah. Which isn't actually how it reads. It reads, all damage that would be dealt to you or another permanent is dealt to Palisade Giant instead. Yeah. Like, it's There There could be a subtle wording to change it that you just take the damage and not the effect attached yeah. to the damage. So I was just like, no, uh, Palisade Giant just takes two damage. And the guy was just like, can I peel? And then the head judge kind of popped his head over the shoulder and goes, yeah, Palisade Giant dies. And I was just like, oh, man, I totally up in front of the head judge. <laughs> That's not good. Um, yeah, aside from that. I mean, 
that that's one of these uh, mental shortcuts, isn't it? That you make as a player that you say, well, it prevents the damage, and it do, then the damage gets into the passage line. But it happens a lot of the time with other cards as well, where like you know, what's Druid's Deliverance? Is it Druid's Deliverance, the green two mana spell. Yeah, and it's the 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 thing you always hear people say about that. Oh, it's just like a fog. And that's the mental shortcut that goes with Druid's Deliverance. Yep. That's just like a fog. Well, you know what? It's not very much like a fog at all. No, because it doesn't do anything to your creatures. It just prevents the common damage dealt to you. Yeah, and it's got populate. And it's like a really dangerous thing to slip into making incorrect shortcuts. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, because so, then when you, when you are under pressure... You slip into that shortcut and you make the wrong assumption about a card sometimes without reading it, whether it's your own card or your opponent's card or somebody's card who you're judging. <laughs> Indeed. I mean, that that's exactly what happened to me. Like, um, it, it was stupid because seeing, seeing there was so many eyes in it, I should have taken longer. And, like, I, 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 like, I knew that it was better to take a long time making a decision than to make the wrong, like, quickly make the wrong decision. Yeah. But I just somewhat panicked. But I think I was the only part of the day where I panicked. Like the rest of the day, I was pretty calm. Like it was good not to have any pressure, because I'm pretty sure I was only one of like a few people in the room which didn't feel pressured at all. It's like I don't. I need to make sure I don't screw up this play. I need to make sure you know I tap my mana correctly. I had none of that issues. I didn't have to deal with any of that malarkey. So um, I had an interesting situation in one of my games. Okay, where I had to call a judge. It's the first time I've actually had to call a judge in. That's my third PTQ, first time I had to call a judge. And uh, what my opponent did was he played a Gatekeeper Vine. Okay. And then searched his deck, and he kind of said to me, I'm just going to search out a mountain, I think. And uh, he says, you just um, crack on your turn. And I always get a bit suspect when somebody says something like that. It's kind of like, well, okay, I'll just... Uh, draw my card for a turn, and then I looked over, and, now, before I even say this, I, I don't think there was anything malicious in it at all. It wasn't like a deliberate attempt to cheat. Yeah. But he revealed his mountain, he put his deck down, and then started drawing cards off the top, like one, two, three, and then he went, hold on, what am I doing? Right. <laughs> right? And it was like he was drawing a hand for the first... For, he's, he's obviously been... This is like getting tired at the end of the game, or the end of the day. Yeah. Uh, uh, his brain's gone into automatic start of the game mode. Yes. <laughs> and he's going, what am I doing? Oh, right. Uh, so he quickly puts the top three cards back on top of his deck, looks at the table, he's like, where's my hand gone? And he goes, oh... My hand's underneath my deck. He'd put his deck on top of his hand. Right? Right. And, of course, at this point, I'd been drawing my first card and looking at what I'd drawn and hadn't seen this in its entirety. I'd just caught the end of it and sort of go, what the hell's going on over there? Yeah. And he's saying to me, well, I've got this... uh, My hand's on top of my... bottom of my deck. I had five cards. I was going, yeah, maybe, but... Didn't see, I'm sorry mate, but I didn't see what actually happened, I'm just going to have to call a judge. Yeah. He was like, yeah, okay, fair enough. He called the judge over, judge was slightly bemused, he was like, you know, really? 
don't think I've seen this before at a PTQ. Uh, uh, or maybe he had. But he had to go and, uh, well, first of all, he checked with the guy, found out exactly what happened, and then he said to the guy, right, what was on the bottom of your deck? And he tried to do it out of earshot of me, but I was like, I'm going to stick my fingers in my ears, so I didn't hear what he had in his hand. And he says, right, okay. And then he went over and spoke to the head judge, and then he came back, and he says, well, the cards you said were in your hand aren't on the bottom of your deck, or they're not the exact cards that are on the bottom of your deck. And you, you must have either done half a shuffle, or maybe put the top three cards that you threw off the top on the bottom, or uh-huh. done something odd anyway. And I was thinking, oh well, it's a crappy way to win a game, but I'll take it. Yeah, so yeah, he ended up with no hand, isn't Yeah. Yeah. Because, yeah, because that, that was the decision in the end. At first I thought it was going to be, well, game loss, but it wasn't. The decision was, you can play on, because what he did didn't give you any advantage, but uh, yeah. you play on with no hand. Well, you played on with a mountain. Yeah. You got you got the mountain off his gatekeeper vine, but that was it. So. Ouch. It was effectively a game loss. Yeah, this is the sort of thing you just need to be very careful about at this yeah. level of uh, play. Yeah, but I mean, like on a, like on another day, I would have maybe even said, "Well, that's fine, mate. Just uh, take your hand back. You know, not that bothered." Yeah, because I would have trusted him. But like he said that, like, and like I don't think the guy was like a, a deliberate cheat or anything like that. He was just a, he was a bit flustered. Yeah. But he said, oh, my hand's just on the bottom, and I'm sure he just believed his hand was on the bottom, but if, he, if, I'd, if I'd let him draw five cards off the bottom, he would have got a completely different hand to what he had to start with. Yeah. You know? Oh, yeah. Anyway, that was one of the more interesting things that happened. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I don't think I had anything particularly interesting happen. Uh, at the end of the uh, sealed portion... I basically became redundant because you had, you know, the small table, eight players around it doing the draft, and four eyes, like four pairs of eyes on it yeah. from the judges, and I was just, I became a bit superfluous. So I didn't really have much to do with the draft portion of it, uh, except for basically making sure that when they were drafting, they weren't trying to peek at each other's hands or anything like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. But a bit like how you had your flustered opponent, there was one guy who, I think he was 8th place, I think from remembering how they were seated, and he was new to the whole, I think he, I'm not sure how, he was definitely new to time drafting, because like when they were asked like, like, uh, does everybody aware of time drafting, he was just like, nope, nope, not a clue, not a clue. So, what happens is, you know, you've got a certain amount of time to look at the cards in any one pick, and then you've got to lay the cards out next to you you know, to the next player to show that you've, you know, like you're passing 13 cards or whatever. Hmm. And then there's a part, so basically it says like you have 50, like draft, you have 50 seconds to make your pick. And then at five seconds, it's like you need to lay out like the, whatever, 13 cards to your left. Check you got 13 cards to your right. And then, you know, you got 45 seconds. And that's sort of how it goes. So it's like you have this much time. Lay out the cards, check the cards. You have this much time. Lay out. But anyways, every time we came to, you know, lay out 13 cards to your left, look at the 13 cards to your right. One, This is the one guy. We pick up the cards and start looking at them straight away. <laughs> and, like, the guy next to him was, you know, you're not allowed to talk. So the guy next to him was sort of putting his hand on like kind of going, no, no, stop, stop, you can't do that, a couple of times. And yeah. then a couple of times the judge standing right next to him had to basically put, you know, put 
like his hand on top of the guy's hand to like push the cards back down the table. But he did this like four or five times during the draft. I like I was just totally waiting to hear him getting like a match loss or something like that. But I think they were just like, no, this guy is clearly nervous, clearly doesn't know, like has never been in this situation before or anything like that. But um yeah, that was a pretty funny thing to do with um do you know what the um, the cutoff was for eighth place? What was the the match results? Um, I don't. But if you give me a second, right? So there were seven rounds, and the first two got nineteen points. Third and fourth place got eighteen points. Fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, and ninth got sixteen points. So that's five wins and a draw, and a loss. Yeah. Oh. So you'd have to be five one one to be in with a chance. Oh. So you you made the correct choice in dropping after two losses, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, or at least insofar as you weren't going to get to the top eight, but yeah. So that that that's what you needed. Yeah. So so who who was uh, the the winner in the end, Craig? The winner was John Malanathy. I think yeah. is how you pronounce his surname, but he's he's known as Irish, I believe. And based on sort of what I was overhearing, he was sort of well overdue for a place on the Pro Tour. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's a really nice guy as well, you know. You, you see him around the shop quite a lot. He's one of the more approachable guys at the shop, I would say. Definitely friendly and nice. Nice guy. Well, in which case he'll be uh, representing Scotland, or maybe just be representing himself. I don't know. Why is his nickname Irish? Is he Irish, or is he just... Yeah, oh, he's definitely Irish. Yeah. Oh, right, okay. In which case, he'll probably be representing Ireland rather than Scotland, I guess. But um, <laughs> So he'll be in Montreal in February, I think. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, something like that, yes. So, that'll be cool. I'll, I'll have to see how he uh, rises uh, in the ratings when he goes. So, uh, yeah. I think that's me done for... Uh, my PTU report, I was a bit rambly, but um, I apologise. You need not apologise to me, Craig. Um, I'm apologising for all the other poor sods who have to listen to my voice. They don't have to. They've got, they've got a little pause off and fast forward button. <laughs> they, they listen by choice. <laughs> Valid point, I guess. Um, right, I guess we can move to wrapping this up then. Cool, in which case I want to thank all the listeners for listening Uh, Remember you can get in touch with us via Tumblr Facebook, Gmail and Twitter If you want to get all the ways of getting in contact with us You can go back to the start of the show Not going to read it out again Uh, Your hosts for this week were me Craig and you Steve That's me The intro and outro music is by Kevin MacLeod The name of the song is The Cannery And it is Royal for Free Music licensed in the Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0